are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I'd like you to turn to John 19, and I'd like to use as a text of Scripture, uh, verse number 20. Six, I believe it is. Verse number 30, I'm sorry. And let's begin reading by uh, with verse number 25. You recognize when you when you read John 19, you're reading about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ up in Calvary. The very heart of the gospel. The very heart sob of God. And the great demonstration of God's love to me and you, in that he gave his only begotten son up in Calvary to pay our sin debt. And there's no chapter in the Bible, I don't suppose, that we reverence more and love more than we do John chapter number uh, 19. And I'm going to break right into the middle of it, read uh, verse 2, and use uh, verse number 30 as a text of scripture to bring a message to you in a moment on the unfinished work of Christ. And that's not a contradiction. The text says it is finished. But I'm not going to call to your mind basically the finished work of Christ which involves redemption, but I, I want to deal with the unfinished work of Christ that moves from that moment right down until this moment, and it shall move even further out at the second coming of our Lord and down in the millennial day as well, the unfinished work of Christ. But blessed be the day when Jesus died upon Calvary. I read one liberal who said that had Jesus been wise, he would not have had to have died. But he acted foolishly, said that man. And because of his foolish action, he got himself in such a jam until he lost his life and couldn't have it any other way. But as far as I'm concerned, that's rank liberalism and modernism and unfaith and unbelief. And I don't accept such statements as that. I put no stock in such statements as that, not at all. And if I had a pastor that made a statement like that, I wouldn't call him a pastor. I'd call him a false prophet. And I'd leave that church. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in that church not another day. No. I don't think the Lord ever acted unwisely. He is wisdom. How could an omnipotent God, an omniscient God ever, a white orc unwisely, act unwisely? The very thought of it is a contradiction of realities. If he was foolish enough to act unwisely, then he's not omniscient, which means knows all things. And if he's foolish enough to have been killed by wicked hands, then he's not omnipotent, having all power. If they killed him against his will, then he's not omnipotent. And so the very idea is ridiculous. The Lord was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Did he not say when he reached this point in his life, for this hour the Son of Man has come to give his life a ransom for many? He came not to live, but to die. And when Jesus died upon the cross, it was not an accident, not by any means, but the plan of God from the foundation of the world. Did not John the Baptist say as our Lord approached, he lift up his eyes and saw the Lord approaching at the Jordan River? Behold, look, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he is the Lamb slain in the economy of God from the foundation of the world. In God's plan, he was born crucified. I'll never forget the first time I heard, I saw that terminology, those two words used together, born crucified. And I thought that was the most strange two words placed together 
that I'd ever seen in my lifetime. But the more you think about it, the more of the reality it is that he was born crucified. No man takes my life away from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. For this hour the Son of Man is born. And he set his face toward Calvary like a flint. And he did not he did not yield himself to wicked men, but he gave himself to the cross, you see. Why, he could have called out a legion of angels from God, and one of those angels could have delivered him from the hand of the centurion band. But no, that's not the point. For that hour, the Son of God was born to die upon Calvary. And when he finally died, and, and he said, it is finished, in the words of my text, plant, the plan of redemption find, finds a, a triumphant climax in verse number 30. In verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things are now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. Note, he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. Some times ago, I brought you a message on the on the death of our Lord, and, and I said in that message that the death of our Lord was natural. And I meant by that that he actually and literally died. He didn't swoon away or go into a deep coma, but he died like men die. His death was a natural death. I said to you also in that message that his death was preternatural, which is foreordained, planned of God from the foundation of the world. Then I said also in that message that his death was supernatural. And it is supernatural because dying men ordinarily have no control over their heads. But hanging upon the cross with all the blood and the water having been emptied from his body, he yet held his, body, head, held his head erect. And as far as I'm concerned, our Lord never bowed his head until we come to verse 30 when he said it is finished. Even in all the agony of the cross, and all the suffering of the cross, and all the blood that is our strength, the life of our precious in the blood, we're told in the Bible. When all that blood was out, yet he had enough strength to hold his head up, and he bowed himself supernaturally and gave up the ghost. What a tremendous thing that is. That is, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And when his head dropped, to, his chin dropped to his breast, then he died, but he did not drop his head until the hour struck for him to give up the Holy Ghost. And he said, it is finished. He bowed himself and received the vinegar and said, it is finished, bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The plan of redemption is now finished. There'll never be the need of any other offering, any other sacrifice, any other savior. No angel, no heavenly personality will ever come again in this world to do what our Lord did. He came once for all, as I read in the morning hour from Hebrews 9, to die one time to purchase eternal redemption for you and I in his own blood. So redemption is over. 
The plan of redemption is finished. We don't have to wait for some other day, but now I can announce to you that redemption's plan is finished. The blood of Christ is offered. And though your sin may be a scarlet, you can come to Christ now. Now is the day of salvation. If any man hears his voice, harden not your heart. Today, hear the voice of God and act upon that call. Believe the gospel report and become converted by the grace of God. It's in the realm of potential to every person in this building. Not one of you is excluded. Any thirsty soul in this building can have the benefit of life eternal by simple faith in a crucified Savior. It is finished. And the door is thrown wide open. And at this moment, anybody in the world thirsty may come and have the, the blessing of eternal and everlasting life. It is finished. Now, when you take that to its literal meaning, it means that no other thing is required. No other panacea is offered. No other gospel can be conceived. And no other, no other Savior is there need for. No other blood can ever be offered. Everything God planned to fulfill all the prophets in the Old Testament has now found glorious and ultimate and triumphant fulfillment. And our Lord drops his head upon his breast and cries, It is finished, and gave up the ghost and died upon Calvary. Though this is a great reality, the finished work of our Lord, we talk about that sometimes when I exhort sinners to accept Jesus, I remind them that the work of redemption is finished. It is done. The great transaction is done. We don't have to look to the future when it's going to be finished up. It is finished. Christ has died once for all. And never will another sacrifice be required. And never will another Savior offer his life. The very thought of it would be totally absurd and contrary to the word of God. It is finished. Redemption's plan. Though that's a great truth. Blessed reality. I'm going to approach it from the other angle tonight. And bring your message for a moment on the unfinished work of Christ. Wait a minute, preacher. That sounds like a contradiction of terms. If the plan of redemption is finished, then how can you bring a sermon on the unfinished work of Christ? Well, we'll see. Some things that I think is indeed unfinished. Number one, I remind you of the unfinished work of Christ in the matter of intercession. He ever lives to pray for you and I at the right hand of the throne of God on high. I preached to you in the morning hour of Hebrews 9 and verse number 22. And in those verses I read, in the latter part of chapter 9, I read that now he appears. In the days gone past, he has appeared. And then I read second, he now appears. And then I read third, he shall appear one day in the glorious second advent. But he does now appear at the right hand of the throne of God on high, ever living, to make intercession for me and you. Now that's the unfinished work of Christ. This very moment that I stand before you, he sits in my place as my advocate at the right hand of the throne of God on high. This moment as I speak to you, he now intercedes to God in behalf of this feeble and unworthy preacher. I write these things unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, First John 2, verse 1. And so I have an advocate at the right hand of the throne of God this moment, ever living to make intercession for me. And I'd like to remind you that that intercessory work of our Lord is not finished until the last one of us step inside the eastern gate. 
till the last one of us receive a glorified body, a resurrected body celestial. That intercession will work of our Lord will continue at the right hand of the throne of God until the devil is bound with a great chain and put in the pit that he might deceive the nations no more for a thousand years. He's not going to back out what he's been doing for two thousand years. No. When he went to heaven forty days after his resurrection, he went to sit down at God's right hand. And he's been at that right hand of God from that blessed day of the ascension down to this moment in which we now live. Ever living to make intercession for me and you that are saved in the grace of God. Now I plan to sleep tonight when I go home. I plan to go to bed. I plan to sleep. But my intercessor will not sleep. No, no. And tomorrow, I plan to serve God one way or another, all the day long. And I do not know what danger may lurk out there tomorrow. I do not know what strategy the old devil may be devising to use against me on tomorrow. But my advocate knows. And when I come to that crisis, God, God through the sun will say to the old devil, let him alone. He's mine. He's bought with a price. So I have an intercessor. And the unfinished work of our Lord in the mount of intercession can continue until we rise to meet him in the clouds and until the old devil is put in the bottomless pit. That's not much use for you to worry. I told somebody the other day, things look rather difficult in America. I think I said to you last Sunday, we ought to pray for our president. They're really after him, you believe me. The news media is really after him. I've been watching some of the news with real interest since his speech the other night. And I mean, they're really after him like a hound dog after a rabbit. They're after our president. The news media, the radio media, the commentators are all after the president. And they, they're not about to let him go. They're going to make it hard for him. We need to pray for our president. Well, sometimes the old devil gets after me and you like that. But I'm so glad that I have one that prays for me and keeps us in, in, in the center of God's will and keeps us from the wicked one at the right hand of the throne of God in the mount of intercession. His work is never finished. No. And not one who believes will ever be lost to the enemy. Not one. He's such a great intercessor that the wicked in our fellowship will make it by the grace of God. You don't have to be great to go to heaven, you just have to be saved. You don't have to be strong to go to heaven, you just have to be saved. You don't have to be wise to go to heaven, you just have to be saved. Don't you imagine it embarrasses the old devil when a simple person gets converted? And the devil's supposed to be so wise, you know, and so great, and every once in a while God will save a feeble-minded man. The devil says, I can handle him. And he begins to try to handle that feeble-minded person and falls flat on his face. I imagine that embarrasses the devil. He can't even handle feeble-minded people with that kind of an advocate at God's right hand. No. No. The Mount of Intercession will never be finished till the last one of us arrive at destination. Our Lord is as real tonight as he was when he bowed his head upon his breast and said, It is finished. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe it was surely real in that ancient day when he died up in Calvary and declared it is finished. That's real. That's wonderful. But he's as much engaged in the matter of redemption tonight as he was 2,000 years ago. Right. Just no more Calvaries. He has a lot more children to look after now than he ever has had before. 
and he faithfully watches after everyone that's ever been saved. And those that have fallen, by the way, the blessed Holy Ghost has marked the spot in the ground where they're buried. And in the resurrection morning, the dead will get up. And all the living will be caught up. He watches us every step of the way. He knows all about my shortcomings, my weaknesses, and my failure. And he's a faithful and merciful high priest in things pertaining to God. So I say to you that the work of Christ is unfinished in the Mount of Intercession. Then number two, the work of Christ is unfinished in the mercy of grace. I mean by that, that yet others are going to be added to our number. And I mean by that, that not one added will ever find grace insufficient. Those two things I mean. Somebody else will be added to our number. How do you know that, preacher? Because we're still here. I think when the body of Christ is completed, the last one, knowing God's mind from the foundation of the world, gets saved, that's when the rapture will take place. I don't think the Lord will let us hang around one day longer than absolutely necessary. When the last one gets in, by grace, the rapture is going to take place. We're going to leave this world when that one gets converted. It might happen in Tabernacle, it might happen in Africa, but somewhere, someday, some boy, some girl, some man, some woman will say yes to Jesus. And they hardly say yes to Jesus until Gabriel blows the trumpet. And brother, we're going to leave this world in a hurry. Right. That's grace. You all about that, the devil. He's got the thing under control. Don't you let anybody kid you about that. The devil is a born loser. The devil is a has-been. The devil is a dumbbell. No, he's a born loser. He can no more stop the mercy of God's grace from being extended to sinners than you could dam up Niagara Falls. No, sir. The grace of God is yet extended to whosoever will. And not a thing the devil can do about it but bat his eyes and watch it happen. When God gets ready to save a soul, the devil may howl and may complain and may oppose, but there's not much he can do but watch it happen. The work of Christ is unfinished in the mercy of grace. And then once the man becomes converted, that's when grace really begins to operate. Through many dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace, tis grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on. Amen. The grace of God is still working in my life. And the grace of God is still working in your life. And that grace of God will keep on working. In every day, in every trouble, in every trial, in every danger. You think God will lead, lead us thus far and then abandon us? Can God set a table in the wilderness? Can God? Can God set a table in the wilderness? You know the answer to that. The old devil said, no, you've got nothing to put on that table. You just watch the Lord fix it. You watch the Lord set it. He's able to set a table for me and you in the wilderness. God can! They will have you believe that God can't. But God can set a table. And God does! Amen. The grace of God keeps on operating, you see. Another thing the devil can do about it, but watch it happen. The work of Christ is unfinished in the mercy of grace. One of these days I'm coming to the end of my journey. And I hope it'll be a long time. I'd love to live to be an 85-year-old man. My dad lived to be 85. I'd like to live to be 85 and keep my thinking faculties and be able to walk and to be able to drive a car and to be able to preach a little bit. I, I, I know of nothing I'd rather do than to preach till I die. I'd like to do that. 
I, I may not be able to do that, but I'd love to do that. To preach to the dying. I don't want to die now. Hope to be about 20 years ahead of me. 25. I hope. But uh, whether it's uh, tonight or whether it's 20 years from now, one thing I know, grace. Grace. Thine grace. Grace that I've never had before will be mine in that moment. And I preach that to you, and I believe that in my heart. If when I come to the end of my journey, and I do not have extra grace, unused grace, unknown grace, unexperienced grace, if God doesn't give me dying grace in that moment, I shall be the most disappointed person you've ever heard of in your life. And I shall grit my teeth and not say a word to you about it. But I'm not expecting that to happen. I'm expecting when I come to the end of my journey for God to move into the uh, gable of my heart and fan the flame of faith that I've got in my soul and make that the sweetest day I've ever lived all my lifetime. I think he'll take the sting of death completely away and make it easy for me to tread the waters of Jordan to the other side. Born in the arms of Abraham, into the bosom of Abraham, by the angels of God in that day of grace. And his grace will be mine in that moment. And I'm not afraid to die. Well, preacher, suppose it doesn't happen. Well, why would I suppose it shall not happen? When already grace has been mine time and time and time and time again. From the day I believed first until this moment, the grace of God has been sufficient. Why would I believe that grace would become exhausted now? Why would I believe that grace would fail now? I know what grace has done in the past. I know how sufficient grace has been in the trials. Why would I doubt but that the grace of God will be totally sufficient upon my deathbed? It'll make it the sweet experience of leaving this world and going to another world to be with Jesus. The work of Christ is unfinished in the mercy of grace. If God saved me and you and then turned us loose to make our own way to the best of our ability, we'd be miserable creatures. But when God saved you, he said, son, give me your hand. And I've been walking 55 years with my hand in the nail-scarred hand of the crucified Savior. He leads me up the mountains and down through the valleys and across the crooked highways. And he bypasses the stony places and the places where I'm apt to be lost, to be hurt, I'll be offended. He leads me around those. He takes me by his hands and bears me over. The grace of God, day by day, leads me and directs me and helps me and supplies my needs, drops handfuls on purpose at my feet. And I don't think the grace of God will ever fail to do that. The unfinished work of Christ in the Mount of Grace. Please, you get off excited. Well, my soul, how can I but get excited since I believe the gospel? What I'm preaching to you is not a fancy. And what I'm preaching to you is not a toy. What I'm preaching to you is my life and my bread and my faith and my hope and my foundation. And all I am is in Jesus. And I believe he's sufficient in every need in my life. I cannot but believe what I'm preaching to you. The grace of God is sufficient. And it's not going to run out now. Don't you worry about that. One bit in the world. Aren't you afraid of the devil, preacher? The devil will get you one day and he'll put you under hell for talking about him like you have. Well, if I didn't believe in grace, I might worry about that. But I believe in grace. The old devil roars at me, but you know he's nothing but a roar. He makes a lot of noise, 
but his sting's been removed. He roars at me as if he's going to devour me. And about that time, the grace of God bears me up, carries me through. Right, he'll do the same for you. Why should I fear about tomorrow? I told somebody the other day, it's not whether Reagan's economics works or not. God's going to fix the table for me and you. How could I believe that God would forsake you and down here six months from now, a year from now, you'd be starving to death? Lord, I've served you all these days. We had a good church, but things folded up, and you haven't heard our prayers. We're about to starve to death, and the, the colonists are going to kill us, and we're dying of malnutrition. I wish you'd send us No, I can't conceive of that. I can't conceive of that. No, God God put the angel on half rations. God will take care of me and you. He has taken care of us. And I have not known of any of your family that's perished for starvation. God will not forsake one of you. Never. The work of Christ is unfinished in the mercy of grace. Number three, the work of Christ is unfinished in the miracle of the resurrection. I'd like to remind you that the resurrection is as much a matter of faith and grace as Calvary is. The resurrection is as much a part of the Bible as heaven is. The thread of the resurrection is interwoven from the Genesis to the Revelation. In every book, there is that great and foundational doctrine we call the resurrection. Christ, the first fruit of them which slept. But not only Christ, the first fruit, but we, after him and his coming, is involved in the resurrection. Could I remind you tonight that my salvation is not finished and will not be finished until God gets me out of the grave, brethren? I must come out of that grave. And not only must I come out, but every dead saint must come out of that grave. And my redemption is not complete until that happens. You believe it's going to happen, don't you? If you don't believe that, you're disqualified for salvation and you're not saved. As thou shalt confess to thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A man that doesn't believe in the resurrection of Christ is not saved and cannot be. I believe that on the third day, he walked out of that grave. When Jesus died on the cross, I imagine hell put on a, a jubilee. And the devil said, we've got him now. And the devil said, death, you've got him now, haven't you? And death said, yes, sir, we've got him now. And the devil said, I tell you, we'll put guards at the tomb. And we'll put a stone at the mouth of it. Death, you've got him now, haven't you? And the devil answers, yes, Satan, death has him. And the first day passes, and the next day, the devil says, death, do you have him? And death says, yes, we've got him. And the devil said, we're watching the tomb. Nobody can touch it. No soldier can interfere. Nobody can rob his body. We've taken care of everything. All the details taken care of. On the third day, the devil says, death, you have him yet? And the death says, well, I'll tell you, you better hurry. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried, says death. The devil says, hold on. If we can keep him three days, we've got him. Hold on, death. But on that seven to second hour, death became exhausted. And Jesus slipped out of his hands and walked out of that grave and shook the keys of death and of hell in the face of the devil and said, I'm here. 
who was alive and was dead and have alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hell. Death had to let him go. Death had to let him go. Death had to release him. One of these days, God's going to look down to that spot of ground where I'm buried and say, Dad, release him. Cut him loose. And a thousand components of my body mysteriously and miraculously will come together, and God will transform that into creature and I, and I'm going to come out of that grave. Oh, Dad, where is thy sting? Oh, boy, where is thy victory? I say to you, the work of Christ is unfinished. In the miracle of the resurrection. Brother, it's better down the road. It's been good thus far. And it was good in John chapter number 19. But it's going to be better when I come to 1 Corinthians 15. And I walk out of that grave. Amen. I hope you're putting up with this preaching. But I'm getting the light of my heart out of it. I like, I like these thoughts. I wish I could say them in words. That will bless you, but I'm sure getting a blessing on the inside. The unfinished work of Christ in the miracle of the resurrection. He'll get us out. Don't you fret about that. We'll see our love for again. Don't you fret about that. You buried your mom and dad. You buried your wife or husband. You buried your child. We shall see them again. And the old devil says, no, you won't. We shout back in at him. Yes, we will. The devil says, how do you know? And we point to a resurrected Savior because he walked out of the grave. We shall walk out one day. And then again, the unfinished work of Christ in the measure of reward. Has it ever occurred to you that actually right now, God could not reward you? If you went to heaven today, you'd have to wait a while for your reward. Because those rewards that you're going to get for your labor must be compounded and then compounded again and then compounded some more and you don't know how big your award is going to be you can't imagine how large your award is going to be you won one soul and that person went out one another and that person fanned out and won two more and those persons went out and won five and by the time you get two or three generations where you live you've got a whole congregation walking behind you and you sold the first seed and every time a new one comes in, God puts it in his heavenly computer. And your reward grows and grows and grows. And every time you give a dollar and send a missionary around the world, you'll never know the full increase of that dollar. And the full reward of that dollar that you invested in getting the gospel out around the world. You couldn't calculate it. You couldn't imagine it now. But my Lord and my God calculates everything in the way of reward that I'm entitled to. And one day I'm going to, to receive a reward for everything I've done for God. Even the giving of a cup of cool water in the name of a disciple. I shall not lose my reward for that. What about that? And you've done so many things sometimes unconsciously. You thought nothing about it. But God chalks it up to your account. And when you begin to receive your reward, you'll say, Lord, I wasn't expecting all this. No, but he's a righteous judge. And he's going to reward you for everything you've ever done. And so the Lord's work is unfinished yet. He's still calculating the amount of your reward. And it's still growing. It keeps on growing. Until you 
uh, your reward will be greater than you ever thought it would be. And so that matter is unfinished and will continue to be until we stand at the end of the age to be rewarded for our labors. Then again, the unfinished work of Christ in relation to the marriage of the bride. The whole program of God is unfinished and, un un and incomplete until there's a wedding in the sky. Right. The Bible speaks of Christ and his body. Christ and his church. The bridegroom and the bride. You think the Bible is trying to make us feel good? You think God is, is uh, toying with us and tantalizing us? Do you think God will set up those analogies between Christ and the bride and Christ and the body and the bridegroom and the bride if there was no reality to it? I couldn't imagine that. God doesn't work like that. When God set up that analogy, he was setting up an analogy of something real. In God's plan, God said to his son, I'm going to give you a bride. Like God gave to Adam, the first woman Eve. And though he sinned, and my transgressions fell, yet Adam said voluntarily with his eyes open and deliberately, give me the fruit. And he ate that fruit deliberately on purpose, and voluntarily numbered himself with the fallen bride, and condescended to her low estate, so that he might lift her from that miry place up to heaven. She couldn't get to heaven any other way. He had to condescend to her. She could not ascend to him. So Adam came to Eve and said, Give me the fruit, and I'll be numbered with you in transgression. Because he loved his bride so much until he said, I'd rather die in the judgment of God than to be without my bride. And then he wanted fellowship so much with his bride until he said, I cannot live without my bride. I want to walk with her and talk with her. I love her fellowship. He said, Give me the fruit. I'll have to be numbered with you. Two cannot walk together except that they agree. I have to come to your place. But I can have fellowship. And then he knew that from their union would come a seed. And from that seed and from that seed and from that seed would come a virgin named Mary. And from her seed would come the Son of God, the divine Son of God, who would redeem both fallen Eve and Adam. And so he said, give me the truth. And I'd like to remind you that he wedded that bride and children were born. And the time is going to come when Jesus will wed the bride. You have another picture of that with Moses and his Gentile bride in the land of Egypt. He left Pharaoh's palace and was expelled like our Lord was rejected by Israel. Found his way to the land of Midian. Married an Egyptian woman, Gentile woman. Had children by that woman. Lived with her for four years. And then God said, come to the burning bush, and he gave him a second commission. And our Lord's been dealing with the Gentile bride now for 2,000 years. And one day, there's going to be a second burning bush in heaven. And God's going to say to his son, go back to the earth the second time. As sure as you live, it's going to happen. And that bride that Moses married was her bride, was his bride. After they left Egypt in the land, in the wandering, she was still his bride. And forever, and forever, and forever, and forever, the church is the wedded bride of the bridegroom. And that matter is not finished yet, but there's going to be a wedding in the sky. I read about it in Revelation 19. And when they come from the east and west and north and south and sit out in God's kingdom, there's going to be a wedding. 
And the bride will be the church, and the bridegroom will be the Christ. And until that happens, the work of Christ is unfinished. And then again, the work of Christ is unfinished in the millennium of peace. In the millennium of peace. A thousand years asunder. God spoke of it in Isaiah 35. He said to Isaiah, the time will come, prophet, when there'll be peace in the world and men will beat the influence of warfare into pruning hooks and every man will seek for simply his own vine. And the knowledge of God shall cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And Isaiah, you put down in your book, the time will come when the lion will eat straw and the nuts, when the serpent will lose its bite, and when the lion will not any longer be fierce. The fierceness of the beast of the field will be lifted will be removed from the earth, and this earth planet will blossom again like the paradise of Eden. And we're going to have a thousand golden years, a literal reign of Christ on this earth when he sits upon the throne of David and rules the world from the city of Jerusalem. How do you like that? That's better than the Republicans or the Democrats can offer you. Brother, we've got a program sure enough. Congress is not have to pay much attention to it, but we've got the, the Constitution in this book. And the integrity of God is behind it. And the armies in heaven are behind it. And that kingdom is going to come, and I know who the king's going to be. He's already been elected. And he's going to occupy that throne one day and rule the world with a rod of iron. What a day that's going to be. It'll never happen, preacher. That's your fancy. That's your imagination. It'll never happen. Oh, yes, it will happen. Jesus said it would. And I believe it's going to happen. In that day, I can see a family come home from preaching on Sunday night. And they start across their threshold. And here is a 500-pound lion lying across the threshold of their door. And the first impulse that woman has the wife and mother is to scream. And then she remembers, the Lord reigns in Zion. And the husband walks up and kicks the old lion in his rib. He gets up and meekly walks away. Right. I see the next day the mother working in the house and the little child out in the yard playing. And all of a sudden she sees the child playing with a great serpent. And the first impulse she has is to scream. And then she remembers the Lord reigns in Zion. The old serpent's lost his sting. He lost his bite. And she plays with that serpent unharmed and unhurt. She goes out to plume her rose bushes, and she finds out for some reason the thorns begin to drop off. And the roses begin to open up late in the, in the fall. And they blossom when they're not supposed to. She plants a garden. And she finds out before she puts the fertilizer on the plants that she needs no fertilizer. And she puts the fertilizer in the garage and watch that stuff come up and grow and multiply. No pestilences, no insects, nothing to hurt it in all the holy mountain of God. She says, I believe I need a rain on my garden. Before the sun goes down, the rain begins to pour. <laughs> millennium, millennium. I notice how they're saying all day, every day, I've been singing. And then she remembers the old devil's bound put in the bottom of the pit. The Lord reigns in Zion. I've been watching the newspaper while the obituary column, and I don't see any death. And then she remembers the Lord reigns in Zion. Having heard a firing in a week, and then she remembers the Lord reigns in Zion. 
I know the church is so bad, but you on a vacation. No, the Lord reigns in Zion. And everything's all right in God's house. Until that happens, the work of Christ remains unfinished. It'll never happen, preacher. That's the imagination of an old man. Call it what you may. But one of these days, I'm going to walk in Zion. One of these days, I'm going to live in that re-inhabited re Eden of God. And one of these days, I'm going to enjoy all the fruit of a millennium. And I'll tell you what, if we're still together at Tabernacle in Greenville, we'll call the Apostle Paul to have him come and teach Romans for us. How about that, okay? He'll be around preaching you are beside yourself. Then then number seven, the work of Christ is unfinished in the might of judgment. Now must come to a solemn note. In the might of judgment, the work of Christ is unfinished. I would that I didn't have to say that, because all I've said so far blesses me and, and uh, lifts me in my heart and in my soul, but what I'm saying now doesn't do that. I, 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 I look the day when the wicked dead ought to be summoned to the white stone judgment. I can't say that brings any delight to my heart. But I'm told in Revelation 20, then shall the wicked dead, both small and great, stand before God. And the books of heaven are open. And every man standing before God in the white stone judge, judgment are judged according to the things written in the books of heaven against him. And after they're judged, then the wicked will be turned into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. That's a solemn thing. But my soul, may I say to you that everything I've said is so. What I now say is equally so. It's unfinished. The matter of judgment is unfinished. But just as surely as there's to be a resurrection of the righteous, there is also to be a resurrection of the wicked dead. And as surely as the righteous are rewarded, the wicked dead are to be judged. And as surely as the righteous go into the holy city, the wicked dead are cast into the lake of fire. And that's not a pleasant thought, but it's a reality. Jesus said, it is finished. And when he said that in John 19, he's saying, come on, just as you are. You're unworthy, you're undeserving, but come just as you are. And you can have eternal and everlasting life. And those of us who have accepted him can enjoy all the other anticipations that I've made mention of. But you that have not accepted him don't have much to hope for. Not much to hope for indeed. Why don't you give your heart to God? Come to the Savior and have eternal life. And you can have it by receiving it. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.